Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight for us to be with you once again at the beginning of this week of Monday, July 13, 2020. And we are excited, and we consider it always an honor and a privilege uh, that you would join us, that you would join us today as we study the Word of God. And we are looking forward to a powerful time in the Word of God and we pray that as the Lord continues to impress upon you and as that hunger continues to grow, that we would grow together in his word. Last week, we had a tremendous time in our series that we will continue today on the Song of Solomon. And all of the things that perhaps most of us had never considered uh, became so real in our lives concerning how the Song of Solomon, poetry, we see prophecy. We see we see God speaking to us about his coming. And we give God glory for that. And we give God glory for keeping us. And, and, and especially over this weekend that his hand is upon us. And we want you to know that you are in our prayers. We want you to know that we pray for you, for each and every one of you that are tuning in. And we pray that you do the same for us. Today, what an honor to be here with the panel, uh, to be able to study the Word of God together with Brother Marty, Brother Fernando, and Brother Jeremiah, and to be able to come to you. We are always, we always consider this an honor to study the Word of God. So, Brother Marty, uh, as we continue today, uh, so that we'll give you now uh, the, the time for you to share what God has placed in your heart today as we study the Word of God together. Well, praise the Lord. <clears throat> it's good to be back again on this Monday. Hope you all had a good weekend or wherever you are listening around the world. We pray that this uh, this continuing series on the Song of Solomon uh, will bless you. If you're just joining us, we, we encourage you to go back and listen to the other five parts of, uh, of this exploration of the Song of Solomon, Chapter 2. As we've been seeing, it, it basically... Uh, is poetry passionately written but hidden within its writings and its intent was to hide and to conceal exactly uh, what it is uh, that has been unfolding before us which is the length and the extent of, of the plan of God from the from the uh, manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ in his first appearance on the earth seeking out his bride uh, to those that he would cut the new covenant with and uh, going to Calvary to pay the price and redeem a bride unto himself and then leaving uh, after his resurrection where his bride finds herself disoriented and disillusioned in verse 5 of chapter 2 of the Song of Solomon where she cries out that she's sick with love, overcome with her her love and her longing for her Savior. And she begins to reveal what was uh, basically directed for her to do, which is she cries out for understanding in both the Old Testament and and out of it would come the New Testament wherein she would find her rest. And that was referenced in verse 5 where she talks about flagons and and apples. And we, <laughs> we encourage you to go back and look at all that. As we continue to um, reveal Scripture by the Spirit, we pray, we need to understand, as someone was 
uh, encouraging me to remind people because if you just pick up these podcasts and you you only hear where we're at now, it might be confusing. But the truth is, is that uh, the way that we're interpreting scripture here is uh, exactly how we're taught to interpret it in the word of God. Uh, we take the language of the spirit as it's revealed in, in the Bible and and we apply it both metaphorically and allegorically. Metaphors are are descriptive words that that try to describe a thing that is seen. And allegory is the lessons we learn and the things revealed by what it is that we have seen metaphorically. <laughs> so I hope that makes sense. But it's basically types and shadows. Um, but at the same time, it must remain true to other scripture. You can't just make stuff up. So we've been going through the scriptures, looking at a whole variety of supporting scriptures. And uh, and so we come from that verse 5 uh, to verse 6, where we believe that's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. His left hand under my head, his right hand does embrace me. It was then in verse 7 that we saw that uh, she changes from being a lovesick bride to being one that stands full of the Holy Spirit and begins to decree to the daughters of Jerusalem that the the beauty, the glory, the preeminence has shifted from the daughters of Jerusalem to this bride of the king. And she begins to reveal to the daughters of Jerusalem in verse 7 that they are now about to be plunged into a state of blindness and slumber as it relates to understanding the purpose and the uh, the mission of, of, of the king that they should have been married to. So it really speaks of the Gentile bride uh, in its fullness and the next 2,000 years of church history and the blinding of Israel. And she concludes verse 7 by saying that they will not lose their blindness and they will not awake to his love until he pleases. That is a direct, um, can be directly referenced to the writings of the book of the prophet Zechariah, who in chapter 12, verse 10, uh, revealed that that when the Lord pleases, he will pour out his spirit of grace and supplication upon Israel, and her eyes will be opened. She will look upon the Lord whom her forefathers crucified, whom they pierced, and she'll begin to mourn for him as she realizes that the Messiah that she's been looking at for the last 2,000 years actually already came. And that's when she begins to mourn for him. And she will embrace that promise that the Lord gave her back in Matthew chapter 23, verse 38, where he said, you will not see me here again until you cry, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And so chapter 7, between 5, 6, and 7, is, is the entirety, really, of the last 2,000 years of history. And you again, you need to go back and listen to the other podcast to fill in all the blanks for you if you're just joining us today. And so it brings us to verse 8, where she begins to say, uh, the voice of my beloved. She, she identifies a particular time where suddenly they begin to hear the voice of the Lord. And we liken that to the parable that the Lord taught in Matthew 25 of the five wise and the five foolish virgins. The same language is used there. It's prophetic phraseology, if you will, uh, in verse 8, where in <clears throat> where she says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he's coming. Uh, that's the same language that's used in Matthew 25. I think it's verse 6, 
where Jesus, in describing his his second coming, says that first there will be a voice that goes forth and says, Behold, he's coming. So we see that same language here in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 8. She begins to talk about hearing the voice of the beloved and then uh, being aware of what it is that the voice is telling her. She begins to preach, he's coming. And what she preaches, he comes leaping on the mountains, verse 8, skipping on the hills. And we explored that, not at length, but we referenced uh, what those mountains are, taking it in the flow of how Scripture reveals prophetic events. And we likened it to Revelation chapter 17, I believe it is, where the the seven-headed beast system of the Antichrist, the global government, political, religious, and economic government that's instituted in, in the last days is likened to seven mountains. And when she says he comes leaping on the mountains, it indicates that he comes with speed and with force to execute judgment upon the mountains. Also skipping on the hills. We talked about what that means. It literally means to grind the hills to dust. And uh, the hills are the places where they had uh, the altars erected to idolatrous images, and they worshipped the devil, basically, and his and his demons. And so what she begins to reveal in the midnight hour is that he's coming, and the message is he's coming to bring down the system. He's coming to bring down a world that the Bible reveals to us uh, begins to uh, go crazy and ultimately uh, give its allegiance to the Antichrist and his system. And so that's what you see. And then it brings us to verse 9, because it's as if she transitions and begins to describe something about him. She begins to describe her, her bride again. Can you read verse 9 to us, Brother Jeremy, in Jesus' name? Yes. <clears throat> My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. Amen. So <clears throat> we went through these scriptures last week pretty extensively, but there's yet some things that we need to see. And so we'll see if we can conclude the series today. But if not, we will, Lord willing, tomorrow as we head into other subjects, uh, the balance of the week. And this, of course, is the spirit leads us. But there's some things here that we need to also look at and still glean some things from as, as, as the spirit leads us. But, you know, <clears throat> she begins to describe him. First, she told us in verse 8 that he's coming, what he's coming to do to execute judgment upon an end-time uh, system, upon the Antichrist system as we know it. Um, but how it's written here in the Song of Solomon, it, it, it lends toward that understanding. So then she begins to describe him. She says, her beloved, that is her bridegroom, and we know is the Lord Jesus Christ, as a roe or a young heart. The word row, uh, as we talked about uh, last week, it, it literally means he comes in his beauty. He comes in his glory. That's what the word row means in the Hebrew. It means beauty, glory, honor, you know, character. And, and then as a, as a young heart, um, he, <laughs> he comes with, with swiftness and, 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 he's, and he's coming basically to rescue his bride. But what she sees in verse 9 is interesting here because it's three things, as we talked about last week. In verse 9, he, he does three things. He stands behind our wall. 
The second thing he does is he looks forth at the window. And the third thing he does is he shows himself through the ladder. But we want to zone in today on what it was that she first notices, because it's a key as we interpret uh, prophetic scripture to understanding what is ahead and what is being revealed when we compare scripture to scripture. What is being revealed will come upon the end time church. Because though she hears his voice, she's not, and what's really cool here is she's not ignorant of what is ahead of her. And so she's revealing that he's coming. She's, he, she knows he's coming to execute judgment. But then she she calls him her beloved, and he's coming in his glory and his strength. But then she calls our attention to something, what she sees. She sees him standing. And as I began to to pray about uh, today and, 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 and as the Lord was speaking to my heart, he reminded me of something that we need to look at here because it lends some weight to what she's seeing. He standeth behind the wall. And like we talked about the other day, the standing up is a, it's a judicial term. The word standeth in the Hebrew can also, it also has the feeling in an earthly sense of one who stands as a judge in the midst of the Sanhedrin. That's literally what that means. The Sanhedrin were the 70 ruling elders of Israel. They were the judges. They were the, the elite class who, who determined uh, all things as it pertained to the nation. And so when one stands in the midst of that, it's as the, it's as the judge or the high priest, if you will, as the one who has ultimate authority to decide. And so she sees him like that. But where he's standing is in heaven. And when you read the book of Revelation, you realize that in heaven itself, the Lord is seated at the right hand of the Father. And when you go into the book of Revelation and you look at the descriptions that are given there, you'll see that the throne itself is surrounded, surrounded by an innumerable host of angels that minister to them, uh, to the Lord, and, and also the 24 elders who surround the throne, and an innumerable host in the very throne room of God. So this is the vision that she's getting of him. She sees him, her king, her bridegroom, as one that stands as an authority and, an, and as, as the judge of heaven. And, and what's interesting is she begins to reveal something. She says he stands behind our wall. And we talked about that word behind and why it's significant. Because she sets out in verse 8 declaring she hears his voice. She begins to preach that he's coming. She then sees him clothed in his glory and, and his, his splendor, majesty, his honor. And she sees him standing as one who's the, the supreme authority. But then he's behind the wall. And we talked about that word behind, meaning suddenly she reveals that though she knows his, his appearance is eminent, there's a delay that happens. That's what the word behind literally means, to be uh, to tarry or to be delayed. So what's being revealed in this poetic uh, prose, if you will, of Solomon here, is that the judge would come indeed, but, that's, that, but there would be a, a slight delay. But his, his intent is also revealed. She says he stands behind. He stands as the judge. He's delayed, but where he's delayed, still remains behind our wall or delayed behind the wall. 
she calls it our wall, which we spoke of last week as being a revelation of where he is, which is in heaven. And and what she sees, therefore, and what she's more uh, familiar with as being her own exclusive possession is the city where the king is. Her sights are set on things above. And when she talks about wall, like Brother Jeremy uh, you know, spoke to us about last week when he looked up the word, the word wall means um, the gathering of inmates, <laughs> of prisoners. And so she knows <laughs> yeah. his intent, right? And we talked mm-hmm. about what does that mean, the gathering of inmates? And we talked about that. We talked about what his intent as the judge will be, even though he's delayed for a little bit, is to come and get the prisoners of the earth. That's what she's saying, that he's coming to rescue his bride. And if you don't think we're prisoners, well, then you're really not saved because <laughs> this world is in our home. <laughs> we are prisoners to, to time and space, right? We're prisoners, but he's going he's gonna to liberate us from that. But I want to talk about this because what's being implied, if, and we're not talking about Bible 101 here. This is a little more advanced, what we're talking about, and even the mode of the interpretation we're giving. But we're comparing Scripture with Scripture and laying our case. Now, the fact that she says he stands is very interesting when you compare Scripture with Scripture. And what we're proposing and what we're, be, what we're beginning to see here is an unveiling within this prophetic poetry that a, that a delay would take place that the intent is to come rescue his church as prisoners from the earth. But in that he stands, something's about to take place because he goes on and he looks forth at the windows. That's what she goes on to say, the second thing. So something's occurring that delays him, but it's, it's, it's in the plan of God that this delay takes place. It's going to require patience. But we see the, the king who's standing uh, anxiously peering through the window as he looks down onto the earth, something's happening. And we believe what the Bible is, is, is seeming to indicate here then is, is exactly what is going to happen in that delay just prior to his coming. And, and what we believe that is, is, is a coming persecution on a global scale of the bride. It's why he looks so intently through the window. It's as if He's one uh, at at the starting block getting ready to start a race. There's this anxious sense knowing what his bride is going through. And that brings comfort to us as we get into the scriptures and and reflect on that. Because he didn't leave us here to suffer and die and just be slaughtered. There's, there's, There's intent behind all of it. And while we can't exhaust it in this little podcast here, we're going to look at something. I think this is very fascinating. And we'll look at it uh, as to as to what we believe the scripture is revealing concerning these things. So I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 7, would you, Brother Jeremy? The book of Acts chapter 7. And remember what she says uh, again. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart, and behold, he standeth. Now, would you turn to Acts chapter 7? And what we have in the book of Acts is the account of of Stephen in Acts chapter Mm. 7. And there's some very interesting language that sounds almost identical with the Song of Solomon, and there's a reason why. The Lord declares the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. What happened in the beginning will be fulfilled in a much larger extent in the end, and we can learn from those prophetic keys to understand times and seasons and and destinies and purpose, really. 
And so when we pick up this story, are you there in Acts chapter 7, brother? Yes. All right. I want you to begin reading uh, in verse 51 uh, and then and then uh, read through verse 54. And what we're what we're we're really picking this up in the middle of a sermon, really a message, an unction that's being given by Stephen. Stephen was a deacon. He was chosen so by the by the early church to assist the apostles in the ministry and and in the daily uh, allotment of food that was been was being given to the widows of the Greeks and the Hebrews. The Bible says that he was so full of wisdom that you could never resist what he would say. And it caused a great jealousy amongst uh, the, 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 the Judaizers or the Jews uh, in the temple. And it came to a head. And they brought him out of je- jealousy before the Sanhedrin and the high priest on earth. And he begins to lay out this incredible message. And, and as he does, we pick it up near the end of that message. And would you read that to verse 51 through 54, brother? Yes, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. So before we go on, uh, this is is the end of his message. He's been preaching one of the most incredibly uh, powerful message ever recorded in, in the annals of scriptural history here. He's surrounded by the Sanhedrin and the and the corrupt priesthood. Jesus has gone to heaven. This isn't very long after his ascension, maybe 18 months, a couple years at the most. And it's come to a head. And he's preaching powerfully. And he begins to lay the case why they are being rejected, basically. It's what angered them, most of all, is that he called them on the carpet for their hypocrisy and, and he, he lays the indictment at their feet that they were the ones who refused to turn and listen and that they fight against the Spirit of God. Remember what we were talking about in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7, those of you who've been following us, that when she gets full of the Holy Ghost, she, she goes from chapter uh, 2, verse 5, being a lovesick bride, to chapter 2, verse 7 in the Song of Solomon being a bride that begins to charge the daughters of Jerusalem. She begins to lay an indictment and prophesy over them. We see the same thing happening here with Stephen. He is of the, of the new church. He is full of the Holy Spirit, as it goes on to say. And he begins to lay an indictment right in the middle of the Sanhedrin, right in the, in the middle of the most powerful seat of authority in the nation of Israel. And it's right there that the charge begins to be laid. And he talks to them and and absolutely dismantles them to the point that in verse 54, when they heard those things, it was okay till then. (laughs) But now 
I mean, think of what he just said here, right? Uh, I don't want to get too far off track, but in verse 52, he says, which of the prophets haven't your, your fathers persecuted? Uh, so, I mean, in other words, they're the seed of the ones who persecuted the prophets. And he said, and they, and they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one. He said, your fathers killed the very prophets that prophesied of the Messiah, of the king. And he says, and, and you are the ones who have now betrayed and murdered him. My God. I mean, hmm. the, I mean and, and he's not talking to some dude on the street here, man. He's talking to the most powerful men, the caretakers of the Old Testament, the, the, uh, the professors <laughs> uh, 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 of, of, the, of the prophetic writings, you know, I mean, the, the, the ones who understood the Torah right and left and so forth and so on. They were the judges. They were the high priests. They were the scribes. They were the lawyers. They're the Sanhedrin. And this is and this is their end. This is where they're being absolutely called to task for what they had done. And he calls them murderers and betrayer of the Messiah. And and then he reminds them, you received the law at the hand of angels. In other words, when God came on Mount Sinai, what is your excuse? Because the law came to you from heaven itself and was ministered unto you by angels, but you didn't keep it. He continues to reveal and contrast the heavenly with the compromised natural. And then finally, when he calls them out, calling them murderers and their daddies were, were just as bad as them, basically, is what he's saying. That's, what they, that's when they finally couldn't hear anymore and they began, and they're about to, to martyr him. They're about to respond by killing him too. But notice what it says after he preaches like that, and they now are turning on him in verse 55. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy? Yes. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. How does he see Jesus? Standing on the right and hand how did of God. The, how does the bride see her king in, in, in Song of Solomon? It and says he standed behind it, the wall. Right? So we see the pattern here. We see uh, the Lord standing. But, but we have to ask the question, what caused him to stand? Because we're trying right. to lend weight, Right? <laughs> You want to say something about that, brother? No. It, well, obviously, Stephen is, is seeing this while he's being persecuted. Yeah. Uh, which causes which causes the Lord to stand up. Um, yes. And then if we take it to our time today, um, in the end times, something of that same nature causes Christ to stand up again. Or he has been standing up uh, for the last 2,000 years. Um, but it, it, the the pattern is there. Stephen is is, yes. is suffering persecution. He sees the Lord standing up. He's not seated. He's standing up at uh, uh, before the throne of God. And we see in the Song of Solomon that the bride sees Christ standing up before our wall. So yep. again, it's, I think that's where we're headed, right? It's, it's what we've been talking about. A intense persecution is coming just like it was at the beginning or inception of the church. 
That's correct. And that's what's being concealed but revealed in the New Testament, right? We see it already beginning. Because remember what we, our thesis that we laid forth was, was Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 5, uh, is that resurrection and the ascension of the Lord. The, the lovesick bride is a bride that no longer has her bridegroom with her, but what she cries out for was flagons and apples. And we talked about the flagons representing the old covenant and her need to understand it because it's, it's, it's represented by cakes of raisins, which is dried grapes and wine. That's what she's asking for, wine representing the spirit. And so when she, when, when she begins to pray that way, what we were putting forth, if you remember, was that in Acts chapter 1, um, it, it is because the Lord had told the church to tarry in Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high, until the outpouring of the Spirit. So that is why she begins to cry for that, flagons, dried grapes, and wine, and apples representing uh, the, both the apostles of the church and the new covenant that would flow out of it, which then brings her comfort. Because when the spirit was outpoured, she was no longer in the upper room travailing. Now she's standing in the temple boldly proclaiming the gospel. And that's why we transition to verse 7, Song of Solomon 2-7, where we see uh, her now charging the daughters of Jerusalem that God has removed uh, the the preeminence and the authority and the glory from the nation state to the spiritual nation state of heaven known as the church. That's what we see happening here because it goes on in verse 55 to emphasize how Stephen is full of the Holy Ghost, right? He's full of the Holy yes. Ghost. And, and, and now he looks into heaven and sees Jesus standing. It's the same flow if you look at Song of Solomon, that she gets full of the Holy Ghost. She she brings an indictment against the daughters of Jerusalem. And then in verse uh, 9 there, she sees her Lord standing. And, and what's about to happen to Stephen is what's being concealed, yet revealed in, uh, in the New Testament, concealed in the Song of Solomon, that a persecution would come, that there would be a delay at the end of time. And, and while it is consistent to say, like Brother Fernando said, <clears throat> that he's been standing for 2,000 years, but really it's end time standing that we're looking at because we're declaring the end from the beginning. The early church went through this great persecution and so will the end time church. But before we go on to look at, to look at that more fully, we see Jesus standing. But I want to look at something really interesting here on a more practical basis, because this is the kind of quality and character that is going to be necessary and resident within the end-time church. Remember what the name Stephen means. His name means uh, one who has a crown. Isn't That's literally what his name means, to, to have a crown. And so it's very interesting that <laughs> I sense his presence, man. It's very interesting that that the very first martyr of the church, his very name means one who, who has a crown. His name means to be crowned or have a crown. And the Lord, right, the Lord speaks of that in the book of Revelation. He that endures to the end, right, shall receive a crown. Let no man take your crown. You know, right. Stephen is a representative, and he's the very first one who died for the Lord. And therefore, he represents on a much deeper and larger scale, a prophetic 
the end time church who herself will be persecuted by a global government represented in this story by the Roman Empire and by a corrupt, backslidden, antichrist uh, uh, church represented by fallen Judaism who rejected and killed the Lord, persecuted the Lord of glory and crucified him. We see those things here in these stories. And they, they are a veil of a much larger truth that are not too many days ahead and in, and in effect have been going on in earnest for many decades around the, the, the other nations of the world. But it's coming to this country. It's already beginning. I want to show you something here that's really cool, uh, what's characteristic. It says that Stephen, just like this in-time true church, who's about to receive their crown, um, they are full of the Holy Ghost being full of the Holy Ghost. And there's something really fascinating to me there because what's taking place with Stephen is, is incredibly deep and, and, and powerful and profound. The word being full of, uh, of the Holy Spirit there, when you actually look up the words, it doesn't just mean that he was full of the Spirit on the inside. Something incredibly miraculous took place. Because it also means that he was enveloped from the outside. It was a visible thing that they could see on him. Um, I think it says earlier here, let me find this in, in this in this message where where do you guys know where that scripture is where it talks about his face? Yeah, look at verse look at chapter six. Can you turn over there, Brother Jeremy? Yes, I'm here. Okay. They, they they bring him before the council in verse 12. Can you read verse 12 through 15? Verse 12 to 15. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. That's the Sanhedrin up, we were talking about. Go ahead. And set up false witnesses, which said, this man sees it not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. See, something happened. And then he, chapter 7 begins, and, and, and he goes into this incredible message that he preaches. See, his ex, the exterior changed. You know, the interior, he was full of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, right? I mean, the Spirit was outpoured, and he became full of the Holy Spirit. But when his martyrdom is about to take place, a visible, incredible insight is given of a of a of a different sort of of it enveloping, and because that's literally what it means when we go back and look at verse fifty five. If you want to go over there again, seven fifty five. When it says he was full of the spirit, it literally means not just full of the spirit on the inside, but he became enveloped by the spirit. The spirit descended and and surrounded him, literally saturating his his flesh 
his exterior as well. And that's why it's described that when they saw him, his face was shining as if it were an angel. See, the book of Isaiah prophesies in the last days in reference to, to Israel, but also to God's people, chapter 60. He says that, that, that we're commanded to arise and shine for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And he goes on to say, and it shall be seen upon thee. What we see here is in the last days, there is going to be, I believe, distinct uh, glory resting upon his children. Truly a distinct difference. And this is end time things we're talking about here. So you have to understand it. I'm reminding you again, we're talking about the Song of Solomon. And so we're talking about what she saw. She saw the Lord stand and we're, we're, we're relating it to the Old Testament concealed, New Testament revealed ideology or thought process here, that when it came to Stephen, the very first martyr, that's where you see Christ standing. And <clears throat> so it's revealing to us that what she sees in the Song of Solomon is the very same thing that happened at the, in the early church and also the very same thing that will happen in the end time church. How do we know that? Well, basically what we've been talking about to this point, but also the fact comparing scripture with scripture in verse chapter eight, I mean, chapter two, verse eight of Song of Solomon, where she talks about, behold, he cometh, my Lord is coming. That is a reference to the midnight hour. That is a reference to the end time message. And so when you begin to piece these scriptures together in context, you begin to see that what is being revealed to us here is that this, this end time bride like Stephen is about to, to, to receive her crown and and the fullness of the spirit will come upon her the characteristic will be a distinctive can be made between what she looks like and what false religion looks like what Stephen looked like standing in the midst of these elders and sages and council of, of Jerusalem here and what they look like was completely different so he was overshadowed and enveloped by the spirit and this is something I want to talk about real quick here, is that what we see here, as it is written, is that he's full of the Spirit. And I'm going to put forth to you something here. This is the distinctive. This is the identifying quality and character of the end-time church as it was the early church. The fullness of the Spirit coupled with the the <laughs> the 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 resting upon the complete being of Stephen will come upon the true church in this hour. It is it is indicative and reflective in many ways of what we've been talking about in the parable of the ten uh, of the ten virgins, the five wise, the five foolish. Like we talked about, the five wise are possessors of the oil necessary to make it all the way home to the wedding feast. What's interesting about that is that collectively, their lamps and their oil burning together creates a, an incredibly bright glow around them and around the path that they take as they head out to meet the bridegroom. It's the same kind of sense here. He's enveloped by the light of the Spirit, and it's even testified, which you just quoted in Acts chapter 6, that his very face shone like an angel. 
So I want to talk that about po- that was powerful, Brother Marty. I think I think you brought that out uh, in the uh, Ten Virgins series. That protective, uh, I don't know, hedge or or, or yeah. of sorts that's that's uh, that the virgins have when they come together. Um, it, that was so powerful what you brought out, and, and I recommend that they go listen to that. I can't remember what number it was, but powerful, powerful truth there. Amen. And that's why that's why we see Stephen, you know, uh, his face illuminated. You know, a, a, it's a light that was illuminated above the light that was around them. It outshone the light that they saw. Even when the Apostle Paul finally gets converted on the road to Damascus, his revelation of Christ produced a light, he says, that outshines the very sun that lights the earth. His, his light is brighter than the sunlight. It's right. the same glory that's coming upon the church. But a glory to what end? You know, uh, in, in this case, it's the glory necessary to endure what was about to come upon him which was his persecution mm. and his ultimate martyrdom. He doesn't just dispense this kind of oil, this kind of presence of God. It comes in unique uh, moments and for unique purposes. This right. is to to endure. Were you going to say something, brother? No, it's, it's, it's amazing what the modern-day church wants the glory for in, in these last days, right? Uh, to to make it to make it about themselves to to grow to to grow their churches to you know sound anointed when they preach but the glory that we're that the Bible's talking about it's a glory to endure I mean I, I want the listeners to just pay attention to that right now so yeah. what we really are praying for when we ask for His presence you know when we ask for His glory it's really yeah. a glory to endure and that he might be glorified through whatever we have to go through. That's powerful. That's exactly right, right brother. That's exactly it, right. It, it's also, also... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Jeremiah. I'll go after you. Oh, I, I just wanted to interject as well as everything we've been talking about with uh, with Stephen. One thing that I found interesting was that as Stephen is being stoned and as he's being persecuted and pressed, he sees like we said earlier, right, the Lord standing at the right hand of God, ready to judge the people that were doing this to him. But at the same time, the Bible says that as Stephen looked upon upon up up to the heavens, he saw the glory of God and he saw he saw that that glory, you know, and he, he saw the presence of God. He saw God like he had never seen him before. And something interesting in Song of Solomon uh chapter two verse nine the Bible says, right, it says, my beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall, right? And we already explained what that is. But and then it says, he looketh forth at the windows, showing yeah. himself through the lattice. And that word showing means to, it means to flourish, to shine, to gleam, to blossom. And then the, yeah. the, the, the lover is seeing this through the window. And so as all of this is happening, as the glory of God is being shown through them that are being persecuted, they themselves see the glory of God in an even greater way as they're being persecuted. And then I thought that was really interesting as as we're making the connection with Songs of Solomon and, and the martyrdom of Stephen. I thought that was a really good point to bring out that even though we're going to be persecuted and the glory of God will shine through us, 
at the same time, we're going to be able to see and be revealed in even greater glory that we've never seen before as we're being yes. persecuted. And, you know, I just wanted to add that in there. I thought it was pretty interesting. That, that's excellent, brother. That's, that's powerful. And that's exactly what, what's happening here. That's exactly what's being said. And, uh, and, and brother Jeremy, Jeremiah, you were going to say, I mean, Jeremy. Yes. Uh, also, that's the beauty, the beautiful language, too, that we see in, in chapter two and verse nine, what we've been quoting. It's not that she only she not only just sees it, she declares it. And the same thing is with, with Stephen. You know, what we read in first verse uh, 55, that being full of the Holy Ghost, he looked up steadfastly into heavens and she saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. In verse 56, we see that he declares it now right and said yes. behold i see the heavens open and the son of man standing on the right hand Amen. that was heard amongst all the sanhedrin so this glory that we're speaking about is not just that i may see his glory but that also that spirit that the holy spirit that we're speaking about will come to us at such a time to declare what we have seen and, and i just thought that was powerful amen and and and, and that's that's what's being revealed. So, so what we see again is is what uh, is what we're talking about here is that the glory of God that came upon him, and we're liking it again to what the bride is seeing and why she's seeing him standing, because he's usurping uh, uh, the authority, uh, the earthly authority of a compromised system here. This council, this this Sanhedrin, he's exerting that authority. It's why he stands. He stands to, he's going to have the final word about what happens to this young man. My goodness. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, it's it's the Holy Spirit that, that, that comes dramatically so, like, like you have been talking about right now, in order to uh, empower us to endure. But it, 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 it not only strengthens us for what's ahead, but like Jeremiah was saying, like you were just saying, Pastor, it, it also... Uh, is the additional revelation that we will need to endure. See, that's why she saw what she saw in the Song of Solomon. I see him standing, but then there's a delay. I know he's coming to rescue us from the earth, to gather us like prisoners, right, behind the wall. But then he he looks forth at the windows. She further reiterates, it's almost an anxious feeling. In the delay process, that's what we're talking about is this persecution, which Stephen himself experienced. And then like Jeremiah pointed out, he showeth himself. Uh, that is what we were talking about on Friday, right? We were talking about the glory of God, the shining of God. It, it, it's, it's the rapture that we were talking about there because that's what comes. That's what the showing himself is. Somewhere in between there because we don't know the day and the hour, he will come and rescue his, his church. In Stephen's case, he gives his spirit to the Lord. It's very veiled, but it's there. But again, let's take a look. When the spirit of God comes in verse 55, being full of the spirit and, and the identifying spiritual quality that we can glean from here is what does the spirit produce? What is the reaction of being filled with the spirit? Is it, is it trying to become relevant to the culture of the day? Did he water down his oh, message right. so as so no. as not to, not to right so as no. not to offend these elite rulers? No, 
what the Spirit will always produce in us is what it produced in Stephen. It says, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, what does he do? What does he do, Brother Jeremy, being full of the Spirit? What's the next two words? It says, he looked up steadfastly into heaven. Well, that's fine. But we can we can we can do that. Oh. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> I only went to the eighth grade, but I can count to two, brother. I'm kidding. <laughs> My Lord, I'm just full of glory today, brother. I know you are. I'm full of glory. I feel like Stephen. <laughs> okay, so what does the Spirit of God do? It produces a, a looking up. Right, he looked up. Yes, Hallelujah. He, I, I know who's been with God. When you spend, I'll oh, tell you God. what they've done and where they've been and and what's going on with them. Just after talking to them for a minute or two, you'll know. Oh. If they want, if they want to give you the box score of the Dodgers game, they want to talk to you about the latest movie coming out. They can't wait to see. Or they want to tell you about this awesome, you know, pair of pants they saw at the mall, or the latest Air Jordans coming off of Foot Locker's rack. Or they want to talk to you about how big their church is, or how great their ministry. Is. None of that. I'll tell you right now, they're 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 not full of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> but if they want to yeah. talk to you about heaven, Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's how you know your brothers. That's how you know your brothers and sisters. Because that's oh, all they God. want to talk about. Brother Jeremy, turn over to Malachi really quick. Malachi chapter 3. And, and, yeah. and, and we'll lay, lay another component to, to these real saints of God. The ones that are about to receive their crown. Because that's what Stephen names mean. Right? His name means crown. The crown is, yeah. is reserved for those who are full of the Spirit and who look up. Listen. In speaking of God's saints, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy? Yes. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then, in verse 18, he says, You will return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that doesn't. See, yes. being full of the Spirit has these qualities and characters to it, like Brother Jeremy was just reading. People that fear the Lord, they speak often one to another about everything but the Lord. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> <laughs> right. It says that if they right. fear the Lord, they speak one to another often uh, uh, about the Lord, right? And yes. and, and, the Lord, and the Lord hears it. And and this is amazing because what the what the prophet's revealing is is he records your conversations about him. Hallelujah. Oh my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And not only that, he hears what you think about. 
right? Because it was written before him uh, for them that feared the Lord and what? That thought upon his name. My goodness, you see. Yes. Like Brother Fernando said so wonderfully earlier, what the, what, what the modern church tells you the spirit's all about, so you can roll around on the ground and look ridiculous, so you can act like you're all drunk, so you can laugh and make a spectacle of yourself. That's not the spirit of God. And I don't care who right. hears That's not the spirit of God. The yeah. spirit of God causes you like Stephen to look steadfastly toward heaven. That's, Glory to that's, God. What, that's what this end time church is all about. The word that we're the word as we go along uh, has been getting sharper and more pointed. You know, mm. the Lord has led us to this point that we've been discussing with the listening audience and, and with each other. We are being warned so that we can be prepared, but we're also being promised that Jesus is standing. He's going to stand for them. He's going to stand for you. He's going to stand for all of those that are truly full of his spirit and the spiritual quality and character of those that are, are like what we just read in Malachi. They, they talk about God all the time. Uh, they think about him all the time. That's yeah. that's that's what this is really about. And if you're not there in your own personal life yet, make the effort to be there. It's just that simple. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Fascinating to think that um, in the days of Malachi, uh, the situation came to that point where God Himself. Think about that. God himself found interest in a remnant people and began to pay attention to everything they were saying. Incredible. Not, not, not the majority. We're talking about a small group here that yeah. he began to pay close attention to and recorded everything they said. And, and that book is in his personal library, <laughs> so to speak, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah. it's there for remembrance forever. Forever. I mean, the question the question is, is God hearkening to our conversation, like he like Malachi is prophesying about? You know, is God listening yeah. to our conversation? And what are we talking about? Because what's going to 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 draw him is is those that speak of him often, right? Those who yeah. who, who who speak about his coming. Those who want to be united with him. Right? Yeah. Praise God. Amen. Uh, another question, too, as you were asking the question, Brother Fernando, another question, too, I think it's very important is do you fear the Lord? Because that's how verse 16 starts in the book of Malachi. It's, it is they that fear the Lord, the Lord that spoke often. And that's the question, right? You yeah. truly fear the Lord, right? You know, and uh, it's powerful. And and that's what we see, you know, coming back to to verse uh, chapter seven, verse fifty-five. Stephen um, being full of the Holy Spirit. Again, we we talked about how that the reflection of his very face was almost uh, it was that of an angel. That both he was flowing in the spirit. You can't. You, I challenge you guys to go back and read chapter seven. Those of you that are listening, and look at what he said. Look at the powerful 
dissertation he gave, the apologetics, if you will. Yes. He absolutely deconstructed the Word of God and exposed their failure and their hard-heartedness and their yes. rejection of God, all in this incredible— and he was a young man, mm. not, not much older than Jeremiah, probably in his early 20s, uh, mm. speaking like this. And And by the time he gets to the end of his message— not only is he functioning in the flow of the spirit, which is flowing out of him, but it literally drew the presence of the spirit all around him. It came down on him. Yes. And it moved him immediately to, to look to heaven. He had to have sensed something. Mm-hmm. He looked up. He took his gaze away from his his congregation that day, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah. and it caused him to look up because he sensed something came on him, and it was Jesus standing. Hallelujah! He, my God. <laughs> God! And and like Jeremiah pointed out, he saw the glory of God. See, uh, and I can't say it any better than Brother Jeremiah just said it. But it also made me think of, of the prophet Isaiah, right? Yes. Because yes. it's the same glory. I saw uh, the Lord high and lifted up, lifted up. and, and yes. his train filled the temple. His glory filled the temple. This is what's being opened here. And, and that ought to tell us something in many ways. Like you were talking about them that love the Lord uh, spoke often one to another. If you've never known the joy of, of 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 true spiritual fellowship with your brothers and sisters, with those that are of a like mind and filled with the Spirit of God, when you begin to talk about the Lord, your whole countenance changes. There, there's always a moment or a point where the Spirit of God will come upon the very words that are being spoken. Wherever two or three are gathered together, in my name, he said. That word yes. name means in my character. When they exhibit my character, when they look like me, those two or three that gather together, I'm going to be right there in their midst. And, and here we see that, that, that what the Holy, produ- Holy Spirit produces is a looking up steadfastly into heaven. See, this is so consistent with all scripture. Remember, what we're talking about is the Song of Solomon. She begins to see him coming, and she looks up and sees him standing. He's full of the Spirit, and suddenly he's looking up. He sees God's glory. He sees Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And then he uses the same words as her. But Jeremy, can you read uh, Song of Solomon chapter 2, uh, where she says, uh, read, she says, read, read, uh, Verse 9. Verse 9. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Okay, stop right there. Right. My beloved is like a roe or like a young heart. She's preaching. And then she uses one word. What does she say? Behold. Behold. And then she says, he standeth. Look at at what happens with Stephen here. (laughs) He's doing what he's doing. The Holy Ghost 
In verse 7, he says what? I mean, in verse 56, what does he say? Behold. He says, behold, and said, behold. I see the heavens open, and what? The Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. My Lord. He's saying the same thing as her. Can you see that? Right. He's saying the same thing as her. Same language. Same language. Same language and same same vision, same manifestation, right? A standing Lord. But let us not miss what Stephen's what's what's being revealed by the Spirit as Luke writes this account. Because when it first says in verse verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Spirit looks up into heaven, he sees the glory of God, and he sees Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Yeshua, Messiah. But then when verse 56 rolls around, he sees the heavens open, and he sees the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. There's two expressions here given. And they're very, very insightful as to what we need to pay attention to and why it's significant for our time. The early church and all subsequent history has Mm -hmm. Jesus as Messiah. But at the end, an end-time church will also see the heavens open. But the one they see is the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is the title that is given to to the second coming of the Lord. It's the it's the it's the phrase that's used in the prophet Daniel when he comes to judge the kingdoms of the world. He's the son of man. Behold the son of man cometh. And it is the conclusion if you can see it, it's there and 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 in both instances crowns will be given to those who endure. They stoned on Stephen in verse 59. They stoned Stephen calling upon God. And he gives his spirit into the hands of the Lord. There is trial which has already begun. There is that which is just ahead of us. And I want to stop right here because there's so much more to talk about, but... but I don't want to leave that. Tomorrow we'll go on a little further. We're going to talk about, Lord willing, the, the balance of, of the Song of Solomon and, 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 and how it connects to what we're talking about today. She sees the Lord standing. Stephen was, was the Old Testament revealed in the New. He sees the Lord standing. He sees him in two ways. He sees him as Jesus, the Messiah, and then and then it's recorded he sees him as the son of man remember nothing in scripture is there by accident and what is being veiled and revealed to us by the spirit are the two manifestations of the lord he will be the messiah until he's about to come back and when he comes back he will come back not as a lamb but he comes back as the judge of all things and he comes to get his church he comes to get his bride he comes as the son of man. Let's just close that out with that phrase in Daniel chapter 7. Would you turn over there, Brother Jeremy, and read that to us in Daniel 7? Yes. I'm here. Okay. 
Daniel chapter 7, I forget what verse it is. I think it's like 13 or something in there. Let me see. Uh, Daniel 7. Yeah. Um, 13. Read, read 12 and 13 to us. Yes. As concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Yes, and read verse 14, I'm sorry. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Praise God. So verse 13, we see him referred to as the Son of Man. And and yes. that's why we know that the second part of what we just read about, about Stephen is he saw him as the Son of Man. It is there what is being told us. The early church had their crown. And, and and they suffered their martyrdom under under the Lord Jesus as Messiah, as Savior, as King. But the last day church, they also will receive a crown. But but the one that they see will be the Son of Man, the one who comes to destroy the Antichrist kingdom and the global system and the backslidden church and all the corruption and sin that's on this planet. And he's coming as the Son of Man to his bride. To rescue us. That's what the Song of Solomon goes on to reveal. He comes to take us away. And 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 we're going to look at that tomorrow. And we're going to talk about what's just ahead. But we shall not all sleep, right? We have that promise. So there are some that will, some who won't. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. That's that showing himself, right? That Brother Jeremiah was referencing, that sparkling, that shining, that twinkling. He's coming soon. Yes. And, and 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 what I pray is that we, we learn the lesson of today, which is basically, you know, and, and at its most rudimentary level, is that we need to draw close to him. We need to, to, to be filled with his spirit. And, 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 and that which will de- determine not only personally for ourselves to know if we're in the right place is will we, like Stephen, respond and our attention be turned toward heaven. Because if we do, what we'll see is our Lord standing as he gets ready to come and take us to our heavenly home. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Right. Hallelujah. <laughs> Whew. Man, this is so... And, and, so and brothers, you know, I was thinking... Uh, you know, we hope we're conveying the seriousness uh, yeah, what we're uh, saying, you know, correctly, you know, and and um, and, and we talk about it off air a lot, and 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 we sense what's coming, and we feel the weight of it to prepare God's people, especially here in the West in America, where we have not been trained correctly biblically concerning the things that we're talking about, and and the patterns are so perfect in Scripture prophetically. He always ends how he begins. 
That's what we see in Scripture. So, and, and, and we've been trying to bring those points forth, you know, those those those, those concepts or uh, those keys to, to unlocking Scripture that he declares the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. And what we see in the beginning with the church uh, is going to take place at the end. That's what we believe. That's what we believe the word is saying. And that's why we are warning God's people to prepare themselves, to prepare themselves, to hear from their heart, right? Behold, he comes so that they can begin to profess it. He is coming. Jesus is coming, church. Yes, yes. And that's really what, what the book of Acts is, is a template for us to see what's going to happen in the end. It's the same right. exact thing that's going to happen to us. And, and and I truly believe with all my heart that these are the days. I remember with, with, when Daniel wanted to understand, <laughs> there were just some things that the Lord says, no, man, uh, you have to seal these things. Go thy way, Daniel, for these words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. And this is, I believe, that we are in that time. And that's why God is opening up these scriptures, as Brother Marty said in the beginning. It's poetry, but we find in this poetry, in the Song of Solomon, hidden, hidden these things that God, until now, is beginning to allow us to see it. And, you know, this ought to make you happy, because that represents, that means that we're, we're that end-time generation that shall see the coming Amen. of the Lord, the coming of the Son of Man. Hallelujah. And that's what we want to declare to you boldly, that he is coming, and that he's coming very soon. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. And join us tomorrow. Keep looking up. <laughs>